Bible Greek D-Pod's Intermediate Greek Program. This is Lesson 14, Part 2. The next verse, verse 7, in the first phrase, Little children, let no one deceive you. There is deception being taught concerning sin. The warning is addressed to the technon. The vocative is here, uh, in plural. Little children, the weakest within the Christian community. They are the ones needing special instruction and protection due to the influence false teachers have upon them. They have not yet been through the tests and trials of the Christian walk. They are not yet battle-hardened to the tricks of the devil. John declares, let no one deceive you. This is the third time he has talked about deception and the believer. Notice the progression of deception as it reaches its height of instruction here. The word deception uh, in its relation to sin can be represented in chapter 1, verse 8, present active indicative. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. So what is our relation to sin? Our sin and self-deception. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Self-deception. The next is found in chapter 2, verse 26. Present active participle. A state of being. These things I have written to you concerning those that deceive you. There it is. And it speaks of outside sin and deception. Those that deceive you. The first one's the indicative. We are se- we deceive ourselves. The second one is participle. Those that are deceivers. So the first is self-deception. The second is outside deception. Now we move to chapter 3, verse 7. Present active imperative, a command. Little children, let no one deceive you. It's an exhortation to not sin. The adjective here, medes, no one or nothing is translated no one, no man, since it is masculine and means a person and not an abstract thing. No one is the subject of the phrase whose purpose is to play no, present active imperative, to cause to uh, stray, to lead astray or deceive those in the church. Let no one deceive those in the church. The imperative is often translated let no one deceive you. What is it that you should look for in order not to be deceived? John tells us next in the second phrase. He who does the righteousness is righteous even as that one is righteous. How do you know? Look at the person. Nicole says the apostle cuts away vain pretenses by a sharp principle. A righteous character expresses itself in righteous conduct. Christ is the type. He was the Son of God, and if we are children of God, we must be like Him. A righteous person performs righteous conduct. A Jewish concept of knowledge and deed are tightly linked. They are one. Okay? They are one. That is the concept. What you think upon grows, so it represents deeds, conduct. The person in the church who does not have a righteous life is suspect. The Christian should exhibit a changed life, not only by word, but by deed. This is expressed in the Greek 
by the participle, poeo, present active participle. Notice it's present. It has the definite article there. To make or do, and is translated, he who does, in the sense of acting rightly according to a standard given. That standard given is given by God and is called dirakosune, and it has a definite article, the righteousness. As you can see, there is a right thing to do and a wrong thing to do. Anything that is not according to his commands is deemed unrighteous, and anything according to his commands deemed righteous. The actions of the Christian are measured against what God has to say about the subject. Can a starving Christian steal? Modern American humanism says yes, but God says no. The answer to this question is not based on relative rational standard. The answer is never because God said so. The participle says, This person is known as a doer of the righteousness, a specific righteousness, as the definite article points out, a righteousness that is from God, a righteousness that is defined to be righteous as the adjective didakas, righteous or just, is used with the stative verb, I may, and hence one can translate the righteousness, a righteous one it is. The adverb, kathos, even as or, or as, is a simile and defines the righteous act as patterned after his standard. Notice the far demonstrative ekonos, that, is used to describe Christ's righteousness. Is Christ's righteousness far from our righteousness? Yes, that's what that demonstrative is. It's a far demonstrative. He's far from His righteousness is far from ours. But since His righteousness is imputed to us, we are to use His standard of life as a pattern, a simile. The next verse, verse 8. He who does sin is of the devil. So we're, we're, the simile is, is uh, almost transitioned into this concept. You practice uh, what the devil does, you're of the devil. He who does sin is of the devil. Man is capable of performing acts of sin. That is why in verse 7, the far demonstrative is used to distinguish our righteousness, even in a state of salvation. We are in Christ, saved. It is different in quality than his righteousness. And hence, we do not measure up to Christ's righteousness and cannot measure up to it in reality. Yet still, the believer can and is expected to be righteous, to perform righteous deeds in Christ's name, and to be holy, set apart to God. John, however, makes a point that the one who performs sin is of, notice that's the ablative, source or origin is meant here. The one who performs sin is of the devil. The same construction is found in verse 7, repeated here. The present participle of to do, peo, with that definite article, uh, translated the one who does, hamatia, the sin, definite article is used, is of the devil. It's as if that sin continues through this whole section. It's as if John points out a person's character who is known by a particular sin and moves it through this section of scripture, being very consistent with that definite article. 
This serves as a contrast between the person of verse 7 who performs righteousness and the one who does not. One who does not do right sins and the one who does sin is declared to be ek, the preposition ek, from or originates from tu diablu, the devil. The word devil comes from diabolos. It's an adjective. Uh, it's the devil, the false accuser, the slanderer. It's from a compound dia, through or by, and balo, to throw, put, or thrust. So you see how that's a slanderer or accuser, as the devil throws out slander. Slander is a false accusation that is meant to cause harm and injury. This person is identified as being, there's the I me, that uh, present active indicative, third person singular. He's identified as being from or in the group aligned with the devil. The definite article points to a specific person, the same person identified before as the Antichrist in chapter 2, verse 22. The adjective describes the character of this person as well as the person. One might say he is the slanderous one, the slanderer. That's who he is. His occupation, you might say. The second phrase of verse 8, because the devil sins from the start. This phrase identifies the person's character. That is, he has been in rebellion since the beginning. It is not clear where the devil fell. We do know that he rebelled after the creation of the world, but sometime before the incident of Genesis 3. The conjunction hati is translated since or because and forms the reason or cause for sin. Indeed, the first cause in this case. Does this mean that all sin originates from the devil, or just that all sin has its origin from that first sin which originated from the devil? In this case, the prepositional phrase is placed at the head of the phrase in order to emphasize something about the devil. The devil is right now in a state of being in sin and will continue to stay in that state until the consummation of all things by Christ. The Greek preposition apo, from or out of, speaks of origin, either of place, whence anything is or comes from, or of cause. Since the preposition modifies the noun arche, the beginning or origin, the idea is most likely that of origin of a cause. That is, he is the cause of sin entering the world. But this is a present tense. So the idea is the devil continues in his sin. Present or past action. Some call this a perfective present. Most translate, he has been sinning from the start. You hear that uh, present of past action. Uh, coming out in that translation. He has been sinning from the start. The next phrase, verse 8, Into this the Son of God was made manifest in order that he might break the works of the devil. What a marvelous summary statement this is. Into this state of affairs, that is, this sinful fallen world, the Son of God came in the flesh to die on the cross, which served to secure victory over the devil. This means that one of the functions that Jesus died for 
was to secure an unchangeable victory over Satan, since his death cannot be undone. The payment has been made, propitiation has been satisfied, expitiation performed, and victory secured. The preposition ice into or towards describes the direction or rather the environment since the demonstrative uh, utas, that de- uh, demonstrative pronoun that's accusative, this is used. The two combine to point out the world and all that is in it in a negative sense. Into this sinful world or into this state of affairs, the Son of God, Jesus Christ, uh, Fanero, the heiress passive indicative, third person singular, was made manifest or appeared. This has a visible character as it is derived from the verb phano to bring forth into the light and for a purpose. The henna clause is used there in order that or so that he will break the works of the devil. The subjunctive luo, that wonderful luo, Aorist, active, subjunctive, third person singular, to loose, has the idea that by his incarnation, death, burial, and resurrection, that is, his perfect sinless life, perfect sacrifice, and perfect resurrection, are all summed up in his manifestation, which secures a one-time point in the past of undoing the works of the devil. His manifestation was for the purpose of bringing about a possible loosening, the luo there, the bondage to sin for the individual. There is possibility for the individual to see the works of the devil in his or her life completely removed. What a statement that is. The picture is that of being chained to the devil and sin. And the possibility, subjunctive there, and there's certainty in that possibility, the possibility that everyone who loo, who loose those, uh, can loose those chains because Christ secured the victory for the believer. The error subjunctive with the henna is a result clause where the intent of Christ was to break the chains of the devil. That is, the subjunctive here speaks of the intent of the act to break the works of the devil, not its possibility. He really did break the works of the devil. That's the meaning here. By works, or ergon, the business or the works of the deeds is meant the business. That's how I would treat that. That is the business of the diablos, the devil. In all that is summed up in the biblical use of the word, the world, and all things alienated from God, all his plans of evil and control over the nations and people, he is seen as a ruler of this world, working in the sons of disobedient, using demons to carry out his deception. But here, in relation to the believer and the church, he tempts believers to commit evil, and perverts the gospel. Here it may be he attempts the believers with the pride of intellect. The Gnostics are the ones who are being addressed here. 
to cover up selfishness and a lack of love. For the big issue of this letter is fellowship. Verse 9. Whosoever has been born of God does not sin. Woo, that's a strong statement. Let's find out what's going on there. This is, this is the verse that has caused most of the problems. What did doctors Dana and Manti say? Pay special attention to the tenses of the verbs. It will clarify this. The first phrase of this statement is a fact that finds its reason in the next phrase and is made even clearer and reaches a literary height by the final phrase. This is about the halfway point of the letter and is, by all intent and purposes, the central point of the book. That is to say... This is a letter of exhortation addressing the daily walk of the believer and a person who is born again must not consider his or her sin as not a problem. This verse is the reason the early church in general did not quote from this letter because the Gnostics used this verse as a proof text to justify their sin. Were they sinless? No, absolutely not. But Greek philosophy, born by these Gnostics, believed that they could sin, but that some had reached such a height of maturity that they could say they were no longer sinners. Is that playing with words? When people play with words, that's what, that's what they do. The world invaded the Old Testament believers by use of the pagan cultures. And in the New Testament, the world invades the church, in this case, by the Greek philosophy. Today, by whatever worldly philosophy that is particular to a particular culture, that's the way it happens. The influence of the world comes into the church. This is the story of man. This is one of the doctrines of anthropology, that man fails. Did I say that? Is the church going to fail? Have you ever known any dispensation where man did not fail? What is man like? Jesus says a sheep ready to follow after whatever looks good. But regenerated man has a new capability to accept the things of God and a new capability to repent and turn away from whatever sin that holds him and to have victory over that sin. That is possible. Does this mean that a man has victory over all the sin that he continues in? No. God works in time and space to give the individual victory and freedom from individual sin on a case-by-case basis, and it takes time. We are not perfected. We are not glorified. Spiritual growth is the context. So they are all addressed as children of God. The infant to the father, the least mature to the most mature, all have a problem with sin. And it is God's business to weed out the individual sin of the believer in time through trials. But one who continues to work out his or her individual sin, even openly, must be corrected by Scripture. And if that sin continues, or they deny it is sin altogether, then that person has not been born again. That's what John is saying. John makes this clear by his use of the universal pos. That's been, the, that's been what has followed through this section. All or every. Everyone genano, the perfect passive participle with a definite article, means to beget 
or be born. A, a ginomai is a, a becomer. This is related to that word. Perfect passive participle. All who have been begotten, past tense, of God, continue not doing sin. The word for begotten is a perfect passive participle. The perfect means that the act of begetting was completed in the past and continues in that state at the time of writing. So the passive means it was by means of an external agent. So that this person is born again by God and as such, their character will change because they have the gift of the Holy Spirit that serves to convict and teach the individual, thus maturing them, and their response will eventually be to turn away from that sin. How do you know one is born again? What is the test of a believer? John answered that question in 3.18. He says, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John uses a Jewish concept of begotten as a metaphor. That is, it is believed that a child inherits his or her father's nature through the seed, so that those who are born again possess and reflect the character of their father. That's what a, 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 a begotten means. You have some character of the father. The one begotten has the preposition ek, from or out of, theos, God, which is a genitive of source, clarifying the passive who performs the action, or clarifying that God is the agent. And since the person is begotten of God, he is no longer a slave to sin, and through the convicting work of the Holy Spirit, he does not continue doing sin. The present active indicative of peo means that the person is no longer actively performing a sin that was an active part of his life. A continuous active sin. Notice harmatia, sin, is placed at the head of the phrase now, placing importance upon a sin as the object. Notice also the absence of the definite article making this the nature of sin or does not go on doing sin. This sin, which is not definite, that is, it is just one of many, but was an open sin at one point in time, is no longer a master over him, controlling him. He now is set free from it. What a story we have, a testimony of someone who was a slave to sin, but is now set free. What a blessing that is. Let's move to the next phrase. Because his seed remains in him. This phrase has caused a great deal of discussion concerning what the seed is. Is the seed the Spirit of God, the Word of God, or something else? The reason that the believer no longer continues in a particular sin is given by this purpose clause introduced by Hote, because or since. The believer continues to possess his, that is God's, sperma, seed, from which a plant germinates. Um, you, you hear the, the English word sperm there. 
and it's used metaphorically as a few survivors remaining for the next generation. Um, that's how it's used in Scripture sometimes as a metaphor, or alternately, another metaphoric usage is of the divine energy of the Holy Spirit operating within the soul of the believer. The word picture goes with the born of God analogy, but here it seems to imply spiritual growth. That is what this letter is about, growing in God. There has been a lot of talk concerning what the seed is. It could be the Word of God, the Holy Spirit, the light, the truth, the commandment, the offspring of the Spirit, uh, Jesus as the Word, or maybe God's nature. A lot of ideas. But it seems better suited here to simply as a figure for spiritual growth. The seed starts with personal regeneration with the believer being transformed and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. This person is born again and is a babe in Christ. The babe is expected to grow in maturity through the process of experiential salvation, or what we call in theology sanctification, putting off one sin after another. Each time sin is overcome, the believer grows in faith and love. The seed is a possession of atos, him. And one grows not apart from the word of God, but the Holy Spirit works with the word of God. There is no secret knowledge, no special super spiritual person or special way to grow. Everyone that is a child of God has the seed and that seed works in the same way through his spirit and the word and personal experience to bring about personal growth that brings glory to God. That is why the child of God remains in him because his seed remains in him. The preposition in is properly locative, meaning the seed's location is placed in the man. The seed remains meno, it's a present active indicative, third person singular, uh, in the believer for all time. There is never a point in time when the believer does not possess God's seed. The second phrase of verse 9, And he is not able to sin because he is born of God. The born-again person has been given the Holy Spirit who works with the Word of God to convict the believer to repentance. This is the mechanism that works in the believer to change his or her life, to be conformed to the image of God, to put away the old ways and to live a life pleasing to God. This is a general principle. What can be called the law of abiding in Christ? Our fellowship with Christ produces a result that moves us closer to him and away from the works of the devil and the world. Being set apart to God means we are separated from the sins of the world, but we live in this world. So how is it that we are separated? It is the seed that we possess that gives us a new ability. The Greek dunamai is a present middle or passive deponent indicative to be able or have the power not to sin. Notice the ability is in the present tense, as we continue to be capable of not sinning. The present infinitive of harmatio is properly translated continue in 
sin, as the clause is the result of what follows. The Greek infinitive is here locative in scope. John typically speaks in a Hebrew fashion. So it is here that he uses the classic verb plus infinitive to function as an infinitive absolute, thus intensifying or reiterating the verbal statement, he shall surely not continue sinning. What a blessing that is. That's very Hebrew. John is very Hebrew. The hati, because uh, uh, clause here, points to the reason as from God. This person has been born. The perfect passive of ginano, perfect passive indicative, third person singular, to beget or be born, is a completed act, and the action was directed to him or her by an external agent. Because he is born of God implies that God has the power over the person's life, that he and he alone is able to bring about this change. And it is true that he works in his children as a potter, working clay, freeing man from the slavery of sin, giving man a new capability to accept the things of God. The reason we as believers cannot continue in sin is that God hates sin. And the Holy Spirit's work in the believer is to conform us to the image of God. And to do that, one must be kept pure by the renewing of the mind. The purpose of this work is to keep us in fellowship with Him and to hear us bring glory to Him. For He alone is holy. What a section this has been. Living a life set apart to God. Our actions and our deeds have to comply with our knowledge. Our state of being and fundamental knowledge of Christ means that we either have actions and deeds that reflect that knowledge or not. What a statement John gives us here. Oh, what an apologetic. Well, I hope you enjoyed this lesson and I pray that you would translate the next section and come back for the next lesson.